as, as we come to um, this section of the epistle on family relationships, of course, what we read this morning included the relationship of the husband and wife. As we go on and read a little further, the um, parents are addressed, children are addressed, and we'll get to that as we uh, make our way through this section. But before we get into the particular instructions given to the wives and husbands and parents and children, I thought it would be good to go back a step further and take a fresh look at the Bible's teaching on the subject of marriage itself. And I I think everybody would agree that it's probably a good idea to revisit this topic uh, at this time in our uh, cultural experience because there's obviously uh, a ton of debate and a ton of Uh, confusion, really, over this whole issue of marriage. So as we think about it, a couple of questions. Number one, what is marriage? What is marriage? Is there there something that marriage is specifically supposed to be? When and how did it originate? Uh, Does it evolve over time? Are we free to reinvent it according to our likes and dislikes. So uh, I think these are important questions to consider in light of the present situation. According to some, marriage is nothing more than a social institution based on an outdated value system that has outlived its usefulness and should be replaced by something more relevant to today's values. Uh, Marriage, they say, needs to be redefined to include uh, other than the male-female relationship. Same-sex marriage has been declared a constitutional right by the president and has recently been imposed by the courts on several states. So obviously there's confusion, there's a debate when it comes to the subject of marriage. Um, According to the 2008 Gallup survey, a value and belief survey that they did, uh, a record 70% of Americans believe divorce is morally acceptable. So for 70% of the people uh, polled, Divorce is no longer really an issue or a problem or to be seen as something negative. It is, um, it is uh, morally acceptable. Uh, many in our culture, as you know, today would have no problem with uh, living together as a couple versus getting legally married. But this brings up a question. Is there a right and a wrong view regarding marriage. Is there a right and a wrong view, uh, or can we just sort of make it up as we go? Uh, As I've said before, I'll say it again. If there is no God, then there's no right or wrong about anything. All distinctions of right and wrong, if there is no God, are just people's personal opinions. That's if there is no God. But if there is a God, and Jesus is his only unique son, 
and the Bible is his word, then there is a right way to understand and experience marriage. That, of course, is our position as Christians. We believe there is a God. And we believe that that God has spoken. And we believe that he has spoken on this topic. And so here we are today to get a fresh look at what he has said about it. So in looking at um, marriage today, I want to look at three things. I, I want to look at the origin of marriage. I want to look at the purpose of marriage. And then I want to look real quickly at uh, how it is that we can have a marriage that honors and glorifies God. So beginning with the origin of marriage, I wanted to use Jesus as our um, point person, if you will, on, on this uh, first question, the origin of marriage. And um, looking at Jesus, what did Jesus think of marriage? What did Jesus uh, have to say about marriage? Well, the first thing that I think is noteworthy is that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding. And I don't, I don't think that was accidental. He performed his first miracle at a wedding. You remember the story perhaps in John's Gospel, the second chapter, uh, Jesus goes with some of his friends to uh, a wedding feast in a little town of Cana in Galilee. And while he's there, uh, they, they run out of wine and his mother comes to him and she notifies him of that. And Jesus responds to her, he says, uh, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Uh, Mary was suggesting that Jesus could do something about this. And he did. He commanded them to take those six water pots of stone, to fill them to the brim with water. And then he told them to go draw out from those water pots and, and give to the guest. And lo and behold, it was the best wine imaginable. So Jesus performed his first miracle there. And it was truly a miracle. It was a, a, it was a, a miracle of creation. He took water and turned it into wine. And we're told there by John, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. So this is the place that Jesus chooses. These are the circumstances that he chooses to reveal uh, himself as the Messiah to his disciples at a wedding. I think it's significant because just like we have today, there was confusion in the culture at the time of Jesus over the issue of marriage. And we will see that as we look at a couple of other things. But I think in um, taking this opportunity to uh, display his glory for the first time, I think he was also reminding people that marriage was God's creation. So... I think indirectly he was doing that. Now, Jesus also spoke on the subject of marriage. And let me read to you from Mark chapter 10. We have similar statements in both Matthew and Luke, but I'm gonna use Mark today. Mark chapter 10, verses six through nine. This is what Jesus said on the subject of marriage. He said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So that's the statement of Jesus on marriage. He addressed it a few other times. Um, and, and the context here really was a question about divorce, and that was usually where he did address it. Uh, but as we look at this statement here, uh, three things emerge from this statement. Jesus taught us three things about marriage here. Number one, he taught us that marriage goes back to the beginning of history. Goes back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created them. Now, it's also, I think, interesting that Jesus is going back and he's making reference to Genesis. That's his authority. So he is the unique son of God. He's proven that by his miraculous deeds, but now He's drawing on the scripture as the authority. But he tells us from the scripture that marriage goes back to the beginning of history. It originated with and was instituted by God. Jesus makes that clear. In the beginning, God created them, male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So God... The whole thing originates with him, and uh, he institutes this, this thing of marriage. So the point is this. Marriage did not evolve from human society. That's what the uh, secular mind wants us to believe today, that marriage is just a, it's a human construct. It just arose through a process of time out of culture. I read some years ago that uh, the French were the ones who invented marriage, and uh, I guess if the French invented something, it would have been romance and things like that. Uh, but that's not true. Uh, you can go back, you can go much further back than French history, and you find uh, the existence of marriage. And, and here we see it goes all the way back to the very beginning. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we see here in the passage is that marriage is by definition heterosexual. God created them at the beginning, male and female, and then a man shall leave his father and mother. He's talking about what would happen in the future, and they would become man and wife. The Bible knows absolutely nothing of same-sex marriage. Absolutely nothing. Those Christian leaders who are suggesting that the scriptures would allow for same-sex marriage are doing so without any biblical basis to do so. It's just on their part, uh, wishful hoping to, um, I, I think, really just to uh, appease the culture. But you can search high and low in Scripture, and there are hundreds of references to marriage in Scripture, and it's, it's as, cl as clear as anything, it's always the same thing. It's always uh, a heterosexual union the relationship between a man and a woman. And then the third thing that we see here is that marriage is a unique union and intended to be permanent. So a man shall leave his father and mother, he shall cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. The two shall become one flesh. So there's something unique that happens here. And it's almost a... Um, it's, in a sense, it's almost a mystical kind of a thing, but there's, there's a deep union that 
results from this marriage covenant. And it, it's almost something that's um, beyond explanation in one sense. I mean, you could see the two becoming one flesh when you have children. You know, of course, children are a combination of their, of their parents. So there you sort of have a, a visual picture of the two becoming one, yes. But there's no children in this original equation here. And, of course, there are couples that have lived their whole lives without the ability to have children, never have had children. So it can't um, mean that the two become one in the sense that they have uh, children together. Uh, it, it means something other than that, something apart from that. And to me, as I was thinking about it, you know, really, it, in, in a sense, like I said, it sort of defies explanation, but there's some deep thing that happens here. And of course, we, we know that to some degree, we understand it through our marital relationships. We, we know that to some degree in a negative way, in a painful way, when those relationships are torn apart. You know, when a divorce takes place, there's something that's, there's something that's torn apart. It's not... It's not as easy as walking out of, say, a business relationship, or it's not as easy as just walking out of a, uh, even a, uh, you know, a personal friendship. There's something deeper in a marriage. And God declared here that, yes, there would be this, this two coming together as one, and so that it's a unique union, and then it, God's intention is that it be permanent, like I said, the context of the statement that Jesus is making here is the question about divorce. The religious leaders of the day who believed that you could, they, they kind of had their own version of a no-fault divorce. You could just sort of dismiss your uh, wife for anything. Uh, Jesus is correcting them is what he's doing. He says, no, God's intention is that there would be a permanency in this relationship. So because marriage is God's institution, it is not to be replaced with something more culturally relevant. It is not to be redefined to suit the fancy of a supposedly sexually liberated society. But these are the kinds of things that are happening in our culture today. 70% of people say there's no moral problem with divorce. There's... Uh, you know, a lot of people who are in support of same-sex unions and so forth. Uh, but, it, but again, if we understand that marriage isn't our invention, it didn't evolve out of society, but it's something that God invented, then we would be wise, to say the least, to pay attention to uh, what he has to say about it. Now, on a bit of a side note, actually, in my opinion, the battle over so-called marriage equality, gay rights, and so forth, is not the real issue. It's not the real issue that uh, there's, there's a behind-the-scenes thing happening in our culture today. These hot-button topics are driving the greater agenda of overthrowing the Judeo-Christian worldview and replacing it with a secular humanist worldview. That, that's really what's happening in our culture. So the, the marriage issue, the same-sex union issue, all this, these are hot-button topics. They, they 
by their very nature, they evoke uh, emotional reaction and response. So in a sense, there are um, social engineers who are using these things to uh, accomplish a, a larger agenda, in my opinion. And that, like I said, is the agenda of, of getting rid of the influence of the Judeo-Christian religion on our culture and replacing it with a, a purely humanistic, as they would say, a progressive understanding of life. Now, be that as it may, uh, since we believe marriage is God's invention, we are going to pay attention to what God had to say about it. We can't control the culture. We can't uh, enforce our position or uh, you know, demand that they see things from our perspective. That, that's really not even our job to do that. Um, our position and our obligation is really, since we believe that marriage is God's invention, is that we understand it and we comply uh, according to what God's desire is for marriage. So that brings us to the second question, what is the purpose of marriage? So we see that God's the author, the originator, the inventor of marriage, but what did he have in mind? What was the purpose? What is the purpose currently? Well, when you go back to the very beginning, you see there in Genesis 2, the Lord God said, looking at creation and looking now at, um, at Adam. So at this point, there's only the man. And God's looking at the whole thing, and this is what he said. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper that is suitable or comparable to him. So based upon that, I think that we could say that the primary purpose of marriage is companionship. God sees that everything is good except this one thing. And the one thing that's not good is that man is lonely. He needs a companion. He needs somebody that is uh, comparable to him. Somebody that is uh, suitable. Somebody that is really, in a sense, uh, complementary to him. And so companionship is right at the top of the list. Mental and emotional companionship. Somebody that you can share your, your feelings with and experience those wonderful life experience with. A, a soulmate. Somebody that you can be intellectually stimulated by, challenged by. Somebody that you would have this kind of a relationship with. That's what God is uh, wanting to bring about here. But there's also the element of the physical companionship. And of course, to have the mental and the emotional, you, I mean, because we're all of those things combined into one. Um, but the physical companionship here, you know, I was thinking about this today. Uh, I, was, I was just thinking about the, um, you know, marriage as really, in, in so many ways, it's like you, you get a, a partner for life. You get a, a co-laborer, somebody to do life with. And the way it usually works is you find that the person you're doing life with 
is very complementary to you. I think of um, my, my own situation between Cheryl and I. And, you know, it's so interesting how we are opposite in so many ways. But, and you know, you've heard this before and you've probably witnessed it and maybe it's even your own experience. Uh, to a large degree in marriages, what you have is an opposites are attracted to one another. And what you find is that the areas where you have a deficiency, the other person has the strength. And they come in, and as you come together as, uh, as husband and wife in this, in this very special union, there's this complementary thing that's happening, and you know, you're becoming, in, in a sense, a whole person. Um, within that, that relationship. Not to say that you, you, know, you couldn't be without it, but, but for those that are called to be married and for those that God brings together, there certainly is that aspect to it. I think of how dysfunctional my life would be in many ways if I didn't have uh, my wife there to make up the difference in a lot of areas. Um, every time she goes out of town, I'm reminded of the dysfunctionality of my own <laughs> life. And, uh, you know, we don't cook food, we don't do dishes, we don't do anything. We just wait for her to get home. And, um... <laughs> Hopefully normal things will resume when she returns. But, you know, there's, there's something about that. I was... As, as I'm looking at the passage, I'm thinking, you know, this whole idea, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. You know, that, like I said a moment ago, there's something deep that happens there. And that's that, that companionship that we're talking about. So that, that physical, mental, emotional companionship. And then that would be number one. Secondly, procreation. The, um, the bringing into existence of a, of a family. Now, some have mistakenly thought and taught that procreation was kind of the primary purpose of marriage. So you, 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 know, you get married to really just create a family so you can perpetuate the race. Um, procreation was certainly part of it. God said to Adam and Eve, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But that wasn't the primary thing. And as a result of that wrong idea that a marriage was solely for procreation, then the idea became that, you know, the sexual uh, relationship was solely for procreation. So if you, if you were having a, a sexual relationship um, you know, relationship with your spouse, but you were not doing so for the purpose of creating a child, you were instead doing it just merely for the pleasure of it, then somehow you were involved in sin. But all of these ideas are incorrect. They're not rooted in the scripture. They're um, philosophical ideas that would later come in. God created the sexual relationship as uh, a part of the companionship and the enjoyable element of our lives together as companions. But along with that, of course, comes the issue of procreation. 
the family. We've heard it many times before, you know, about the attack on the family. And of course, there's a lot of truth to that. The family is God's idea. This originated with God. That there would be families, and from families would come societies. God loves the, the whole picture of a community. He loves a picture of a community because, in a sense, it's a reflection of who he is. God exists in community. God is not a singular being. He, he is a um, triune being. So within God's very nature, there, there is a plurality. There's a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existing together. That, uh, to understand that really sheds light on the, the idea of God being love. The Bible says God is love. And, and whatever God is, he always has been. So God's always been love. But if God was a singular being without a triunity, it would be very difficult to understand how he could be loved because love has to have an object. You can't love if there's nothing to love. So the fact that God is love really is kind of an indirect um, support for the other doctrine of the triunity in God's nature. So this community that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God wants us to experience it. So creating man in his own image and likeness, giving us then the, the ability to reproduce, to procreate, so that families would develop, so that society would develop, so that community could be experienced. So God loves that. And when we enjoy that uh, family thing, we're we're really entering into something that is near and dear to the heart of God, something that God intended. And it's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Your family, that unit, that's, that's God's invention. So, companionship, procreation. Thirdly, marriage, and we often do not think of it like this, but we need to, Marriage is to display to the world the relationship between God and his people. Marriage is a picture. It's a picture of the relationship between God and his people. We read it there in Ephesians 5.32. Paul says, as he's talking about, you know, leaving father and mother, clinging to his wife, the two becoming one, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So marriage, God's intention is that people could look at a marriage and say, wow, that's, that's how God is with his people. That's why, as Paul goes on to give specific instruction to uh, the husband and the wife, he speaks to the wife and he uh, makes references to her uh, that are similar to the church. Wife, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, just, just like the church is submitted. So the wife becomes sort of the model of the church, and then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The husband becomes a, a sort of a picture of the Lord himself. And so God's intention is that people would be able to look on at a marriage and get a little bit of, a, of an insight into what is possible in a relationship with him, that this is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his people. 
He wants us to come and be part of his family. He wants us to enter into that that beautiful union to experience that wonderful companionship. So these are a few of the things. We could probably go on and list a number of other things as well, but I think these are the, the main things that we see in Scripture regarding the purpose of marriage. But then that brings us to the third point. The third point is this. Um, how do we have a God-glorifying marriage then? If that's one of the purposes of marriage, to glorify God, how can we do that? How can we assist in um, making that happen? Well, number one, you need to recognize your marriage as an entrustment from God. Or a stewardship is another word. Um, You need to recognize it as an entrustment from God, and you need to be faithful to it. See, this is part of the problem with marriage in our culture today. The reason why 70% of the people see no problem with getting divorced is because they don't realize where marriage came from. It came from God. And God says to us, in essence, in our, you know, as we are being united together, he says, I'm, I'm entrusting this person to you. And I want you to be faithful to this person. I'm entrusting this relationship to you. And as children come into the picture, God is, in essence, he's saying, I'm, I'm entrusting all of this into your care. Now, you take care of this for me. A stewardship is a, it's a, the word gives the idea of, of a management. God is giving you a position of manager. He's saying, now manage these things. And they're mine. I want you to take care of them. I will one day call you to give an account for these things, so be faithful. We need to recognize that. We need to get rid of the, the idea that um, marriage is just something that you know, we can walk in and out of or we can do with whatever we want to do with, and we're not connecting it back to a, a stewardship or an entrustment from God. Secondly, we need to recognize our marriages as a gift from God. And because it's a gift from God, he intends that we enjoy it. So it's a gift. God's, God's given us his gift. Hey, I've got this gift for you. You know, when somebody comes to you with a gift, you're anticipating that it's something good, right? And so, of course, when God comes with a gift, we can be certain that it's going to be a good thing. Marriage... is God's gift. And it's to be enjoyed. Are you married today? Are you enjoying the gift of marriage? That's, that's what God intends. And marriage can be enjoyed. It really can. And it should be. And if you're not enjoying it, you need to go back to the to the basics. You need to get back to the fundamental issue here. And, you know, what is marriage? And why is marriage? And what am I doing in this relationship? Because God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to have a blessed experience in your marriage. You know, occasionally I will be counseling people, doing marital counseling, and I'll sit sometimes and I'll listen for maybe a half an hour or something as a couple might trade insults with one another. 
And, you know, I, a few times I've just said, you know, hold on, pause, let's, t- you know, take a break, time out. Uh, and I'll just ask them this question. Hey, did you guys ever like each other ever at any time <laughs> in history? Did you ever like each other? How did you get together in the first place? How did you even get married? And, you know, sometimes, <laughs> a few times it's kind of shocked people like, well, 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 yes, we liked each other. Okay, well, let's kind of put things in reverse and go back there and uh, let's remember some of those things. But there's that, that, like I said initially, there's that compatibility issue. There's that companionship. There's that sharing of our emotional lives and our intellectual lives and all of that. It's to be enjoyed. God wants you to enjoy your marriage. Your marriage ideally is that you're, you're in this lifelong partnership and, and bond with your best friend. And you're just doing life with, with that friend. That's good. That's, that, that ought to be enjoyable. Thirdly, we need to, and remember the, the, top, the, the point here is, uh, you know, our marriage is glorifying God. We need to take seriously God's instruction regarding our roles in the marriage. So if I understand, okay, marriage is God's thing, it's his stewardship to me, it's his gift to me, so, wow, that's serious stuff. What do I do? How do I do this? And God's given us instruction in his word. Now, the interesting thing is that the Bible has a fairly limited amount of information on this, really. You know, the Bible is not a marriage manual. The only book in the Bible that could possibly be understood to uh, be something akin to a marriage manual, although it wouldn't even be that, would be the Song of Solomon. But that is just, uh, you know, it's it's a small book and it's certainly not dealing with all of the issues of marriage. But we just have these... uh, you know, occasional references and statements and instruction here and there, um, relatively small amount of information. But that tells us something. It tells us that we don't need to know that much to do this. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. It's fairly easy if you just do what you are told to do. And what I have found over and over and over again is most of the time, the problems in a marriage are not due to a lack of information. They are due to a lack of application. Most people, most people know what they ought to do. And again, many times in counseling sessions, um, you know, that, that has become so obvious to me. Where I've actually said to people, look, I'm, I'm not gonna continue this uh, weekly counseling with you. We're not really getting anywhere uh, because the problem here is not lack of information. Look, you, you already know the stuff I'm talking to you about. The problem is, is not that you don't know. The problem is that you just won't do what you know to do. And oftentimes, it, it's, the conversation is going like this. Hey, uh, you know, you, you need to do this. Well, I know that, but 
Well, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I've got a reason why I'm not doing it. I, and, you know, well, she, if she did, then I would. And it, so it's this, um, it's this problem with application. So what we are to do, and we'll go into much greater detail on this as we move ahead in the weeks to come, but we're to take seriously God's instruction regarding our role in the marriage. When the Lord says, wives, submit to your husbands and, and all of that there, and you know the few other things that the scripture says, then so the wife is to look at that and say, okay, Lord, this is my role and show me how this works itself out in my daily experience. And when the husband reads, husbands love your wives as Christ love the church and so forth, then again, there's that, okay, Lord, you know, I'm depending on you by your spirit to lead me and guide me and show me those things. And if we do that, if we take it seriously, that will lend itself to our marriages glorifying God. And then one other thing I would just add there real quickly is um, the component of being filled with the spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is the very thing that's going to empower us to do this. And that, uh, Paul's reminded us that all of these things that we're talking about here in this portion of Scripture are things that come under the category, really, of the Spirit-filled life. So, in closing, the thing I want to leave you with is this. Marriage, it's God's good gift to us. It's good. And don't let the don't don't let the outside world try to convince you of of something else. And and I would say don't even let your own bad experience convince you of, of something else. Know that if we do it God's way, it's good. God created everything and he saw that it was all very good and marriage was part of that. You say, but oh, wait a second. Don't forget the fall came and ruined everything. Well, that's true. The fall did come. Sin did enter, and that did ruin much. But we can still go back by taking God's word to heart and applying it, and we can experience marriage to a certain degree, you know, as God desired for us in the pre-fall state. And that's why he's given us this instruction. But it's it's good. It's God's good gift to us. Cheryl and I uh, are 34 plus years into this thing called marriage. And I know that's hard to believe. Um, we did get married when we were 10. That's why, <laughs> that's why we appear to be so young. Um, I, said, I said that earlier and a little voice came and said, Cheryl appears to be young. <laughs> And I had to concur. Cheryl is the one who appears to be young. I used to appear that way, and things changed very rapidly for me. So 34 plus years into this, and uh, we've had our ups and downs for sure. We've had our good times and our hard times, but all in all, it's good. It's good. And I'm so thankful that God has given me uh, a life partner that we could go through life together, and we could experience it together, and um, we can, you know, two are better than one when it comes to the difficulties and the challenges of life. Scripture tells us that. And then, 
you know, there's so much to be enjoyed. There's so many good things. And for us both, uh, things get better the further we go. And we oftentimes, you know, if we're doing something that's more marriage-oriented together, a, a retreat or something, one of the things we're doing, especially with younger couples who are struggling, is encouraging them, look, hang in there. Don't give up. Persevere. The best is yet to come. It gets better as time goes on. You get more adjusted. You get more uh, used to each other and your compatibility even grows. And then, wow, you know, pretty soon you just, it's hard to imagine doing this without that other person. So it's God's good gift. And if we do it God's way, it's a beautiful thing. So God help us. Lord, we thank you for the, the gift of marriage. We recognize, Lord, that it's a gift to be enjoyed. We also recognize it's an it's a entrustment. It's a stewardship. And we need to take it seriously. And we need to be responsible. So help us to do that. And Lord, I would just pray today for anyone who's here and married. And maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're just having a lot of difficulty right now. Help them, Lord, to just get back to the simple truths about how to glorify you together as husband and wife. Thank you, Lord, that you're able to overcome our selfishness and you're able to overcome our pride and those things that so often are at the root of our troubles. And Lord, we ask that you would do that, that we might enjoy marriage the way you intended for us to do, and that through our marital relationships, you would be glorified. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.